I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by Dante Labs, the global leader in genomics solutions for rare diseases. With their Rare Disease Health Package, they offer comprehensive whole genome sequencing for rare disease patients. To learn more about Dante Labs and how they're revolutionizing healthcare, visit us. DanteLabs.com. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. This is Once Upon a Gene, and I'm your host, Effie Parks. I'm kind of keeping in a theme right now. You know, it is Caregivers Awareness Month slash Palliative Care Awareness Month. If you missed last week's episode, you must go back to the after this one. It's with our friend Jennifer Seidman from the Courageous Parents Network, and she's talking about the supermarket answer. You know, that question that you get when you're out and about how are you? And you go under, do they really want to know? Do I really want to tell them? So make sure you go back to that. Also, Courageous Parents Network, they just launched the neurojourney.org. It's a beautiful, beautiful site. And it's a map to help families navigate. They broke it into four phases, adapting to a diagnosis, building strengths, adjusting to changes and navigating decline. And it really walks you through it in very simple, digestible terms and explanations. And fun side note, my friend Daniel DeFabio and myself got to actually narrate the site. So if you don't want to read everything that they have on there, you can actually just click on it and an audio recording of all of the information will pop up. So it's very cool. Please go check it out. It's such an amazing resource, especially for families and clinicians. And make sure to share it with your networks. That's neurojourney.org. And so the other connection today is my friend Lindsay, who is also super connected to the Courageous Parents Network. And she's a really valuable asset there. And also in my state, Washington, she happens to be my neighbor and she's so awesome and you're going to love her. I could listen to her talk all day long. I've seen her on several panels and she just like has this force like enter her body when she's speaking and she's just so flawless and direct and smart and I really respect her. And she's gone into the world of advocacy in like the policy angle, which we haven't talked to too many families who kind of go that angle with like government policy. So we're talking to her about that today. And she has some really cool information to share and some tips if you want to get involved in that type of advocacy. So anyways, I know you're going to enjoy our conversation. She's a parent to the most beautiful little boy named Owen, who's seven, who has Cree de Shaw, also known as 5P syndrome. So I think you're going to learn a lot in this conversation, and I really hope you enjoy it. Please welcome my friend, Lindsay Topping Schwetz. 
Hello, Lindsay. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Effie. Thank you so much for having me. If there's ever a more beautiful voice, Lindsay is it. So I'm really excited for all of you to hear our conversation today because she's just beautiful and eloquent and thoughtful and funny and super relatable. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Can you give us a brief background about yourself and little Owen Schmoen and his disorder? Absolutely. He is my absolute favorite subject. Uh, so I am mom to Owen. He just turned seven years old and he he's incredible. Um, my husband, Ben, and I uh, just have our one child and everything about our parenting journey has been quite a surprise and nothing has gone as planned. I got pregnant after being told that it would not be possible. So we celebrated that, rode that high for a little bit. And pretty quickly at our 20 week ultrasound, there were starting to be red flags about whether or not Owen was going to be okay. Uh, So at 27 weeks, we received a prenatal diagnosis that Owen was going to be born with two genetic abnormalities or chromosomal abnormalities. So he has 5P minus or Creta Shaw syndrome, which is considered a rare disease. And then the second abnormality that he has is a microduplication on the 17th Q arm. And he was at the time of his diagnosis, the second person known to have that piece of it, that component with this microduplication. And there were no cases, obviously, of these two things happening together. So we were really thrown into the rare disease world pretty rough and tumble. I felt very lucky, especially hearing how many families have these really long diagnostic odysseys. You know, that was not our experience. We knew very quickly. That didn't make it easier necessarily. I think it just came with a different package. And so we had 13 weeks left in my pregnancy that we were holding this information of Owen's diagnosis. And like so many of us rare disease parents and caregivers, we were given very, very little information and really just told to go home and wait. And that just isn't realistic for most of us. So we really immediately started to dig into how we could best take care of this child and what would be available in the community for him to help us. You know, what we knew for sure was that our child was going to be born and likely have significant possibly life-limiting disabilities. And we knew that life as we knew it was over. It was going to be a very different path. So we had a very unique becoming parents, I think, experience. And Owen is this beautiful, redhead, blue-eyed little boy who is one of the happiest, most easygoing humans on the planet. And when I say easygoing, I don't mean to say that he's not an absolute spitfire because he is both. <laughs> he holds both of those at the same time. So that, that's kind of how we came into parenting and into the rare disease advocacy world was through Owen. Hey, listeners, I want to take a moment to talk about Dante Labs and their groundbreaking rare disease health package. If you or someone you know is facing the challenges of a rare disease, this is a game changer. With their advanced whole genome sequencing, Dante Labs provides a comprehensive view of your genetic makeup, helping to pinpoint the cause of a rare disease and offering potential treatment options. Dante Labs understands the time is of the essence for rare disease patients. That's why their results are available within weeks, not months. Plus, their pre- and post-specialist consultations offer invaluable support throughout your diagnostic journey. So, if you're seeking answers and support for rare disease, turn to the experts at Dante Labs. 
Visit us.dantelabs.com to explore the Rare Disease Health Package and take charge of your health today. Owen is so cute, and he reminds me so much of little Ford. Lindsay's actually a local mom. Uh, We've met up in person several times, but... We didn't actually meet over once upon a gene necessarily. Well, maybe in the back ways, but we first met at a friend's make-a-wish party and I met Owen and he just immediately, like I saw Ford in him. And it's always just so fun to be around your people, right? Like you don't even have to know each other to feel like family. But yeah, Owen's so special. You know, I wonder if there's a study out that talks about the differences of, I don't know, the difference between families who knew something was coming before the baby was born to being surprised, you know, right after they were born to developing an onset like two, three, few years later. Because I can only imagine what the differences are and then also wonder, like, is it different at all? I don't know, because I think no matter what you're coming into this, that it's always probably the same amount of shock level. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I think about this a lot, especially as I meet families that are just getting a diagnosis or when I meet a new family and I hear their diagnosis story. You know, I think for me, having had the prenatal diagnosis, one of the things that was really hard was I didn't feel like I could be mad. And I I think I didn't feel like I could get mad because I was still pregnant with him and I was so scared that I would lose him. And I don't really think that I actually had that kind of power, but at the moment I was just holding on to every little bit of hope I could. And so I think when I hear parents talk about their diagnosis day and they're mad, I'm jealous of that in like the weirdest of ways because I felt like I had to hold it together to keep this baby healthy that was in my body still growing and for my husband and my family. So I just felt like this weird spotlight on us. And I don't think that's unique, the spotlight part when you get this diagnosis. Uh, But I, I think that the mad came much later for me than a lot of the other moms that I connect with that got diagnosis after the baby was born. So to me, that's always been kind of a weird dynamic that I didn't know if it was a me thing or if it was a prenatal diagnosis thing. So. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. That's so interesting. And it reminds me a little bit of myself, actually, you know, that mad thing coming a little later. I remember, you know, working in the salon and stopping everything I was doing, no matter what, and scheduling it to pump milk, right, for Ford's feeding tube. And everyone was like, why are you still doing that? You have enough going on. And I was like, if I'm not making milk, then I will not eat healthy. I won't sleep. And all of these things that you have to do to create milk for your body. I was like, if I don't do these things to keep my my human self as healthy and safe as possible, I'm afraid of what would happen. Absolutely. And it's such a way to feel connected. Also, like I feel like Everything is so out of control when you have this child who's clinging to life. And so if I can make milk for this baby, it's something. It's something I could do. So I I feel that in my soul when you say that. Okay. I know I'm getting us a little off topic. I actually asked Lindsay on the show today to talk about her advocacy route, which we haven't really touched on very often, if totally at all, with an advocate on the podcast before. So Lindsay's specialty is policy type advocacy. So Lindsay, you know, as we were just talking about coping, there's so many ways that we can respond uh, to the news and our, you know, our new life as parents of a child with a disease. So what influenced your decision to take the advocacy route specifically in the realm of policy work? Yeah. So I think that I had, I felt a need 
to get into policy because I had to. And that's such a common thread among so many of us caregivers is that we felt like we had to. Wasn't necessarily something I had interest in. I didn't have a background in that. And it's very intimidating in the beginning. And at times it still is for me. For my family, you know, as we've kind of talked about, I had a prenatal genetic black and white diagnosis for our son. And so I spent a great deal of time both before he was born and during his 103 day NICU stay, figuring out and trying to make a roadmap for how my family was gonna take care of Owen. And a lot of that was learning and leaning into the resources that would be available in our community, specifically through the state of Washington. And because we had this black and white diagnosis, I just figured it was gonna be as simple as you fill out some paperwork and then all of the things that are, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, advertised on the website would be things that we could utilize and lean into. You know, things such as a medical waiver to make sure that Owen always had health insurance. That also kind of opened the door to families in the state of Washington to being able to get help with caregiving. You know, there's a number of, of resources that they talk about that we have access to here. And I was completely shocked when we did all the paperwork, all the things, and we just kept getting denied. And we'd get denied for no reason at all, or we would get denied because there weren't waiver funds, as I believe how they would say it. And it was maddening to me. There was no good reason they could give me that we were not given the help that we want. They even did an assessment that told me how many hours I would potentially get of help through like respite and caregiving, and then told me I couldn't have them because there were no no dollars to fund this waiver. So it was a three-year journey to fight with the state of Washington to get this. And I went to every meeting I could find available through the different parent resources. I kept thinking, I must just be missing something, right? Like there's gotta just be something out there that I did wrong. It can't just be that the system is this broken. And I finally realized the system is just this broken. People think that we are all getting what we need and we are not. So for us, what that looked like was just networking like crazy. And we were actually connected to a reporter with NPR who ended up running a story about our family. And it represented not just us, but I believe at the time there were 15,000 other families on what I believe they were calling the unpaid services list in Washington. And the day after that story aired, we got notification from the state of Washington that suddenly they had funds for Owen's waiver. It was ridiculous. So as grateful as I was, it was a huge call to action that I, a mom who has documentation of a diagnosis, no diagnostic odyssey causing confusion. I speak, you know, English is my first language. I have a huge family here that supports me. I'm a white woman in America. If it is this hard for me to get through the system, what on earth is happening to people that don't have the platform that I had with the interviews and the attention we got from the media, you know, all those different components that can make it harder for somebody in a family. And so I just started digging in. And what I found was that there are so many wonderful people doing this really hard work for us. Again, it's kind of focused on the state level. Every time I do any kind of advocacy with the state, it can be as simple as just sending an email to my local legislators. I'm learning something. 
I'm learning that there are people that are not wanting to help us. You know, rare disease specifically, we don't generate big funds. We cost a lot. So it was shocking to me to hear how many people really didn't want to hear from us. What I've learned is that you have to start using your voice and it has to be at every level. And not all of us are going to have the energy to do all the things all the time. I realize that. For me, policy is where it all stops and starts. I couldn't get what Owen needed because the laws weren't in place to protect him. They weren't in place to protect our family. It takes forever to make change at a state, and I'm sure even bigger at the federal level. And without our voices, nothing is going to change because again, we cost money, right? It's the same story with trying to get dollars for science and research. It's the, every category of our lives is expensive and this is no exception. So I think for a lot of us, we have to realize that Owen not getting his waiver, Owen not having access to things he should have had at birth, it didn't matter that it was just wrong. I had to prove how it was against the law. I had to prove why the law needed to be changed. And so I had to pair myself with people that were able to know more than myself and kind of take me down that path. And we've made some progress, I would say, in the state of Washington. You know, one of the big things that we were really pushing for is something called caseload forecasting for the waiver program. So to make that as simple as possible, think of it this way. When you are going to try to budget for something and you're going to have to buy something or pay for it, you need to know how many things you have to buy and what they cost. Well, in our state of Washington, there was nothing forcing people to do caseload forecasting for the people that had developmental disabilities and, and were asking for these waivers. So year after year, they under budgeted for this. And this is something that is not across all categories of need. I believe it's different with like seniors and elder care. I'm sure it's different in other categories, but that's one I can speak to for sure. So they were just guessing. Effie. They were guessing how many kids might need this help. And it's adults as well, but people with disabilities. And so every year they turn up short and they make it so hard that most families just gave up. It's wrong on so many levels. And I think I just had this very naive way of knowing that my life had always just kind of worked out until I had Owen. And so I never had to care. And that's such like a privileged thing to say, but the laws kind of worked for me until it didn't. And then I realized that I couldn't just be mad about it. I had to do something about it. So that looks like testifying every session, which you know happens once a year. And in our state of Washington, there's every other year is either a long session or a shorter session. And when you testify for a bill, you know, you can go through, there's so many, there's hundreds of bills every year. Usually there's great organizations like the Ark of Washington that will provide you with a list of bills that they're supporting that kind of align with a lot of the things that our kiddos are utilizing. And they always need voices, a parent voice, a caregiver voice to put with that. Because the reality is most of the legislators don't have a personal connection to a child like ours. And with all of the conflicts and of interest for different dollars, they need a story that stands out to make them understand why this is important and why they should choose this bill to pass. The dollar should go to this group. So again, for us, a big one was making sure that we had 
caseload forecasting done so that the kids and families that needed these waivers had dollars to fund them. You know, we have testified to try to get full genome sequencing for children 12 months of age and under in the state of Washington. We have tried to pass a rare disease advisory council uh, so that we don't have to constantly be trying to teach every one of the people in the state why these things matter, that we'd actually have one body of people in work that did this for us and that we could use as a resource. Huge time saver. You know, that was another thing we tried. And we make progress, but when you're looking at how long these things take, it's years. It's years. It's years of sharing your story. Uh, Most of the senators in Washington state recognize Owen. They may not remember a thing I said, but that sweet little redhead boy sits in his wheelchair next to me when I testify because they will remember his face. And I fully believe you can say no to me, but you're going to look at that cute little boy and say no, because he's the one that you're hurting at the end of the day by really not having laws that support people with disabilities. Mm, Preach, Lindsay. I mean, there's just so much there that we could spend a lot of time unpacking. But obviously, I feel so much of your personal pain also dealing with the same system in Washington state, which is by definition, one of the worst states who are not providing uh, services for our children. Unfortunately, it seems a little backwards considering, you know, our political stance and how progressive we say that we are. Um, But we're completely leaving behind an entire demographic of people. And so many of us have so much battle, like we go through so much battle to try to get our kids services. And I'm so happy that you eventually did, because I know, again, our story is pretty similar here that that also happened with, you know, myself and Ford, and we're still not where we should be. And him and Owen have very similar care needs. So it's frustrating when there isn't like a uniform policy happening for our kids, too. And then when you dig in and you find that, you know, budgets are being mismanaged and how much time everything takes when we're talking about bureaucracy, right? It's really painful. And it takes a special kind of person to do that. I think lots of us have dabbled in different kinds of advocacy. And I think it's really important for us to all kind of figure out what our gifts are and really focus there because there's enough work that all of us need to be doing that we we should figure out who's best at what we can get done and accomplish the jobs for all of us. Uh, So when there's when there's people like you, I am just seriously like so grateful because the policy stuff is really, really hard for me. It moves at a glacial pace and it just seems so unjust and unfair sometimes. So thank you for that work. I know how hard it is and I know how frustrating it is. And I I love the human component that you speak of in especially having Owen's face there. And I think that that is what changes things. Right. And it's another aspect of telling our story. Yeah. And, you know, I think something that's important to point out, you know, because I'm talking about a lot of things that do paint the picture of how hard it is, which it is, and how long things take and how slow they move. All true. The other piece of it is there is a chance that there is a legislator in your community that if you reach out to and have a conversation, which we do every year uh, with the folks in our community, because I want them to know us. I want them to know Owen, not just when I have an ask, but just so they know us. We're in your community. They work for us. That is their job. That is really why they should be in those positions. And 
sometimes just having that one conversation might change the way that they feel about something or change the way they vote. And so you never know where your best allies are going to come from. And as, as challenging, as big as it is, sometimes that one small conversation really does tip something huge and make a giant impact. So I, I want to also have people feel empowered that the big picture of politics, it's exhausting. And I kind of think it's funny sometimes when people ask me questions about it because I feel like when I'm with people that this is what they do, I feel like a kindergartner. I feel like there's so much still to learn and I'm just barely getting by. But I think about how far we've come from day one of being Owen's mom. And it is a, it's a long way. We've learned so much. So it's possible to get there. And I think you also can be interested in just doing a little bit. Not everybody has to go in head first. So when we do our, for us, it's, we do like a rare disease advocacy day with the Northwest Rare Disease Coalition. And there were, a, I think, 10 of us that go down to the Capitol that day. And you just do quick meet and greets. It's almost like speed dating with politicians. You just quickly meet, you give your spiel, please vote for these things, this matters, this is my story in three minutes, have a great day. To put it in perspective, we were there the same day as the Washington State Hospital Association. There were hundreds, if not thousands of them. So we are a small but mighty group. So it could look like somebody just comes down for that one day be an extra body. You know, part of what is so hard and isolating in our world of parenting a child that has a lot of medical complexities is that a lot of the systems, you know, like healthcare, they can't tell you here's 10 other parents that feel the same way you do because of HIPAA or, you know, whatever it may be. And with the political world, it's hard to mobilize a large group of people because we're caregiving for our children. They can't all come down and be in that space. They can't be exposed to germs. There isn't accessibility the way that we would need for our families to be there. So we get left out of a lot of these spaces. It's hard to mobilize. So one day, if one person could give one day, send emails, like find what it is that you're comfortable with, your voice can still be gigantic, even if it is like the slowest, most annoying system on the planet technical terms. Yeah, obviously. Only technical terms when we're talking about policy. Thank you so much for that reminder, because the entire spectrum of everyone's capacity and their bandwidth and all of the things is so important. And nothing is less than. And like you said earlier, that you never know who's listening and how it might impact their decision later. And that what we're doing, at least in the very least, is planting seeds. Yes, absolutely. And failing is a big part of what I do, I feel like, in this journey. I feel like I've got it figured out, and I'm like, oh, here's this great plan. And then those that I lean into as my mentors in this space are like, yeah, that's not how it works. I'm like, darn it, I thought I had it figured out this time. <laughs> but I'm learning, and it's just trying to be, I guess, trying to have a bit of grace with myself, which I feel like on this parenting journey, we have to do in every category. And this is no different. This is kind of that same deal. Yeah. So for other parents or individuals listening and considering this advocacy path, I do get this message a lot of like, Effie, I'm ready to get involved, but I don't know what to do. Uh, so if policy is something that they think they might want to contribute their time to, even if their ears just perked up and sending emails matters, what are some steps or like initial things that you would recommend them reaching out to or who to reach out to if they decide to embark on this advocacy journey? 
Yeah, so I think that if you're wanting to get involved, one simple way is that you can look up, usually with a simple Google search, it will get you to the right place. Who are the people in your community that represent you? Again, that is a great spot to start with your state level advocacy journey. And you can introduce yourself. Most of these folks are willing to meet with you either on a phone call, a Zoom session. I've met with them in coffee shops where they were able to meet Owen. And I think that's like a really personal way that you can get involved with your local representatives. And again, kind of that planting the seed of, I may need something later, so we're gonna meet now so you remember us. You can also go to like the, you know, the ARC. They always have really great ways and are always, I'm sure, looking for extra people to help kind of carry this. We have in Washington State, the Northwest Rare Disease Coalition, who is wonderful at making it incredibly simple, as simple as sign up on our mailing list. These are the things that we are advocating for. When it's time, we'll send you a pre-written email. You can scan it, add and tweak if you want, and it will automatically send to the right people. So there are lots of advocacy groups that are trying very hard to take advantage of technology to lighten the burden on those of us who wanna share our voice, but maybe not share our entire day. So I think those are some very quick and easy ways. And vote, I guess that's like the obvious, hello, how did I miss that? Vote. I think it's like time that we all have to care and not just assume that the people that are put into this position of power are going to take care of us. So read about these people and vote. You know, take ownership of the people that we are putting in there. And again, remembering that they're there to help us, to serve our people, all of us. That's their job. Mm, Amen. Let's put a ping in Northwest Rare Disease Coalition a little bit more because we know and love them especially Carolina Summers here locally in Seattle, too, just does such great work. Where do you have to live to sign up and be a part of contributing any time in advocacy to the Northwest Rare Disease Coalition? That is a great question. I would say anywhere in Washington state for sure. And I would say that if you are outside of Washington state, you can still reach out and we will help you figure out who your people are close to home. Are there any like particular policies or things that you're focused on that you're excited about or hoping to help squash that's coming up in the legislature? Yeah, there are a handful of things. We, you know, at the state level are, there's a great, wonderful, strong group of parent advocates as well as some of the different you know, advocacy organizations working to help parents in Washington state that have children under the age of 18 become paid uh, parent caregivers. And, you know, so that is something that is going to be obviously life-changing as most of us know, not just in Washington, it is so incredibly hard to get caregiving and find consistent, you know, support and help around that. So most of us are doing a lot of it on our own anyway. So I think that we have to recognize that parenting is very different than caregiving. I would say even a third category of medical caregiving is different. They're next level and that we should be compensated for that time. It's above and beyond what parenting asks of us. And it's a way to really help support families. So that is something that I'm very excited about. And then, you know, something that is truly some of my 
life's passion is palliative care and pediatric palliative care specifically. And so that is something else that we are working on at a federal level as well as a state level to really make it possible for palliative care to be something that is, I'm going to say, paid for at an appropriate level so that it can be maintained on something beyond just donor philanthropy. And, you know, many people I think don't fully know or understand what palliative care is. I think it can be a very scary word for a lot of people, you know, but palliative care focuses on easing pain and discomfort, reducing stress, and helping people have the highest quality of life possible. So palliative care is something that many of us who have children or loved ones, in this case children obviously, that have a lot of medical complexity, This is such a gift to my family and I believe so many others. And so making sure that there is a way to make sure that as many parents and families that want this care have an opportunity to get it. Um, So that is like always gonna be my, I believe palliative care saved my family. And I will always sing its praises and fight for it. And its biggest hurdle is how it gets paid for. So that's so important. It is. I wish palliative care was just automatic for a rare disease family. Shout out to the Courageous Parents Network, who I know you work so closely with, who does so much of this type of advocacy. And I'll also link the episodes with their co-founder, Blythe Lord, and also the beautiful Liz Morris, who's local here, too, who go uh, into a deep dive of of what palliative care is. So if you're interested in listening to those, I'll link them in the show notes, too. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. And thanks for touching on that uh, paid caregiver status stuff. I was hoping that was going to be one of your missions that you were focusing on. I've been reading a lot about it lately here locally. And yeah, I just find so much. It's so fitting for the crisis that we're having already with not having even caregivers available once you are approved for a waiver and that families are still drowning in in that matter. Right. Right. I think, um, you know, for us, our journey, we had an amazing uh team at our hospital when Owen was born. And so I really got to see how things can be done right. And while we were in kind of that safety nest of the NICU and everybody comes to you and as awful as the NICU is, it's really, it was a safe space in in many ways. And then they kind of release you out into the wild and you realize how many of the systems you're going to have to become an advocate and fight for. And You know, I'm so grateful that there are people doing this work and the work that you are doing, Effie, in bringing all of us together and helping parents feel more confident. And, you know, like you mentioned, that's the same thing that Courageous Parent Network is doing. We have all of these great groups of people just saying we and our families, our children, we deserve better and we're not okay, and we're not going to pretend we're okay anymore. And how do we make it different? And you know, changing policy is one of the key ways to do that, to make sure that we have funding to support all of these big, huge glaciers that we have to move. It's tough, but it, it, it's such important work. How do you personally navigate that balance between your, your personal emotions over all of this and being a caregiver and mom to Owen? And then these demands of advocacy. I think it's ever-changing, and I'm better at it at some points in time than others. I think that for me, advocacy has been a way to take that fire in my belly and put it somewhere that feels productive. 
I think there are times when it does feel too much. I've overcommitted and it feels like I've put the weight of the world on my shoulders. I think I would do that if I had been parenting a healthy child, probably just in other ways. (laughs) But this feels so much heavier because Owen doesn't have a voice. He can't advocate for himself. And I meet great families that don't feel comfortable or don't have space to use their voice. So I think that it's both what exhausts me and it's what charges me. I think that having good friends that have children that are similar to mine is such a gift. It's such a gift to be able to go and have conversations with other families that use words like baseline or NPO and you're not strange or having to explain anything. And when your kid barfs or when your kid's feeding tube pops out, it's just like a part of the day and you get to feel normal. That's a huge piece for me. And, you know, I feel like I'm still learning the self-care piece. I, I can say very confidently that I never again need to be gifted a bath bomb. Thank you for everyone who has tried that. It does not work. <laughs> You know, we just need help, right? We need help. We need insurance battles to not be so hard. We need politicians that listen. We need voices of families to be heard. And that's that's what we need. You know, maybe then I'll take a bubble bath. I don't know. Mm, I'm just going to quote so many things from you, Lindsay. And yes to all of that. Thank you for that thoughtful response. And I resonate with it so deeply. And I know so many others do too. And it's just this constant dance, right? And just really, really paying attention. Is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners about your journey, about rare disease advocacy, about policy work, about where they can get started, about the brain space that they need to be in, anything like that? You know, I think for me as Owen's mom, I just want other moms and dads or you know whoever it may be, but especially moms, I just want to tell you that you're doing enough. And I say that so I can hear it myself too. It is such a long, hard journey. And you know, it's that whole, it's a marathon, marathon, not a sprint. And I see you, I am with you. And if people want to make space to do policy work, reach out. You can reach out, like I said, to me, to the Rare Disease Coalition. There's so many avenues. We would love to have more voices. And if that's not a fit for you, just existing and continuing to fight for your child, you're doing it. That is the advocacy piece. And I think that we all are really hard on ourselves. And I think it's okay to just say today I've done enough and let it go. You know, I I had an opportunity last week and I think if we had kind of talked about this, that I was able to go spend some time back in Boston with several other moms from the Courageous Parents Network. And it was the first time I was ever surrounded by my people. And it was a group of women with dramatically different backgrounds and interests with the common thread of we have or have lost children that were medically complex. And that wonderful space that we got to make for each other was something that I hope every parent gets to have at some point in time. It was just such a beautiful thing. It was such a beautiful gift. And I really hope that the work you're doing is going to continue to connect other families so that they get to have that moment too. 
it's just something that we don't take for granted for two seconds in, in our lives, right? It's just so rare. Like our kids' disease is rare. Finding a mom squad of people you really connect with that get it may be more rare than our kids' diseases. <laughs> oh my gosh, amen. I mean, it's it's really hard to explain the depth of transformation that happens that never, ever, ever leaves your soul when you are in the presence of those people who get it. My friend Cynthia Caldy, whose daughter Mallory also has Pfeiffer's, there's a meme on on Facebook that runs sometimes about the the parent who fell in the hole and the other parent who's a little further along in the journey will help you get out of the hole. Anyways, we call each other our whole sisters because it's just so true. Everybody needs a whole sister. <laughs> exactly. Totally. And I'm so glad you got to go on that. It was a really beautiful thing to even watch from the outside, that event that was held with CPN. And I know you got to meet my girl Parvati there and I just adore her so much. And obviously everyone that was there, they're, they're just such a special group. And what CPN does is unlike anyone else. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of hoping you were asking me on the show just to talk about Parvati. <laughs> it would have been a much more eloquent conversation on my part. Um, I can confidently speak about her now versus some of this challenging policy talk. Um, but yes, the the event that we all were able to attend was awesome. And it's going to be really exciting to kind of have, you know, there's seven of us parent champions from all over the United States that, rep, you know, get to represent our children that have these serious health issues. And we are going to get to try to forward the message of Courageous Parent Network in different avenues and with new people and just spread that great work that they're doing. And again, like I just was saying to you a moment ago, the work you're doing in spreading and spreading the word and connecting us is making our world smaller and bigger both at the same time. <laughs> and it's what we're all craving so very much. And, you know, so much of the work that I have done on my own advocacy work, especially with palliative care, which has been kind of the common thread through my life with Owen, to have an opportunity to learn from people that are experts at it is just next level awesome. It's just pretty incredible. Um, and I think it's going to give us a leg up in the state of Washington to try to push legislators to do better. You know, I have said on a number of occasions when I testify, if your football team were failing as bad year after year as you are for the developmental disabilities community, you would be trading players you know, you would be like new coaches, the whole thing. It would be like the whole state in uproar. So, you know, I just like hope at some point they care as much about all of us as they do their professional sports teams. You know, I mean, I don't feel like that's too much to ask. Boom. Right there. OK. Thank you, Lindsay, so much. Uh, you have so much knowledge and wisdom and I love listening to you and you just make me smile and you're so articulate and lovely. And I really appreciate all the work you're doing. I know it's a ton. And I want to remind everyone again, like what you said, that what you're doing as being a parent or a caregiver is enough. If you want to take even the smallest step, sharing an episode like this is a huge piece of advocacy because it's helping to reach others. So know that that is also doing something if that's what you have the time and capability of doing. Absolutely. Thanks for being my guest, Lindsay. It was so great to talk to you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate your time. A special thank you to Dante Labs for sponsoring this episode of Once Upon a Gene. To learn more about Dante Labs and how they're revolutionizing healthcare, please visit us.com 
www.dantelabs.com. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.